Last Call to Action, After Strike, Extra Edition, Episode 1. The world had just experienced the deadliest attacks known to humankind by its own hands. It was a case of collateral containment. It was a case of amputating both diseased hands coated with severe rot that oozed a pungent smell, offensively malodorous to save the body from an uncontrollable spread. The threat had been dealt a deadly blow. Sadly, humanity was struck a deadlier blow, but it was still far from over. The toxic nuclear clouds began to darken the skies and shadow the seas. The dark forces were regrouping formidably, and the fear of the undead was returning to the streets. Shivers and silence as the hearts of survivors beat. What is going to save them now? Real Time, Colorado, Dusk the faint swirling noise of gigantic blades slicing through wind could be heard in the distance. The noise increased progressively as a partial image of a Chinook helicopter appeared in the clouds, illuminating the night sky with a haze of light. The big, bold image of the Chinook soon came into full view and began circling over the secluded building. The pronounced external payload swung slowly as the specialist airman looked down from an opened hatch in the floor. The swirling blades created a boisterous feel, and the air shook vigorously, arousing both the living and the dead. Scantily placed trees beneath swayed in various directions under the influence of the strong wind that came from above. The pilots had already triple-checked the coordinates via the instruments, and were now circling for visual confirmation. Under the green filter of their night vision goggles, the pilots positively identified the building. Target confirmed, Captain. That's the building. The lead pilot vested with the responsibility of flying the gigantic bird said, as the light from the helicopter scanned the top of the building. The video images from the drone's feed all check out. This is the only large office building on this side of town he continued. His voice had some roughness to it, probably as a result of the radio. The light in the Chinook gave little details about his face, as it was pretty dark in there. His large headset and night vision goggles covered most of his face, with just his mouth showing. Thermal imaging showing multiple heat signatures. Definitely signs of life inside the building, maybe 10 or 15 people, he added. I'd say that pack of zombies outside the entrance knows there are people inside as well. They seem a little more riled up than normal. The female captain responded as she scanned the dark streets below, congested with a raise of hungry-looking zombies, trying to force their way into some of the buildings. What else do you see? The female captain asked as she attaches a cable to her harness. The pilot swiftly scans the screen in front of him. Burning cars and buildings. A few hundred angry-looking zombies scattered apart from the entrance. You are good to go, ma'am, he said, switching his gaze back to the Captain Olsen. Steady the chopper, she instructed. 
Caitlin Olson gestured to the pilot as the Chinook hovered over the drop zone, right in the middle of the street. The underslung payload took a little time to reduce its sway. Once correctly lined up, the specialist airman shouted at the pilot to drop the payload. The air crew held their breath momentarily as the two-and-a-half-ton payload dropped into the middle of the street. Payload delivered and intact, Captain, the specialist shouted. The captain let out a sigh of relief. Kate gave a nod and a hand gesture to the pilot, then sat back down. The Chinook climbed a little higher until the strong downdraft was minimal. In position, you are clear to engage targets, the pilot said over the radio. The gunner looked back at the captain for confirmation. One silent nod from the captain was returned by thumbs up from the gunner. The safety switch was clicked to live, and he pulled the trigger. Within a microsecond, the minigun was spun up, roaring into action. A line of red tracer bullets illuminated the night sky from gun to ground with a deadly glow. High explosive anti-material rounds rained down at 100 rounds per second quickly turning each sluggish, living corpse into a pile of shredded flesh, one by one. A strong smell of cordite filled the large interior of the chopper, along with a constant, high-pitched sound from the minigun itself. God damn! I never knew I loved the smell of cordite so much! Flynn shouted with a howl. Olivia looked at the empty round casing spitting out the bottom of the minigun in amazement. The former pacifist looked down upon his war machine that she had once despised with a new sense of awe. Don't hit the entrance, the captain said over the mic. The gunner replied, affirmative, as he continued to fire. 2,300 rounds later, the gunner stopped. Smoke bellowed out from the now red-hot barrels. As the chopper banked, the devastation was visible to the team. The splattered remains of 25 to 30 undead lay waste and burning. I've cleared the drop zone in the immediate vicinity of those things, Captain. By the look of it, I'd guess you have about 15 minutes or so before they're on top of you. The captain unbuckled and took a closer look at the gunner's work. The tarmac was on fire in a few dozen places where the explosive bullets managed to ignite it. Good job, Sergeant Thompson. We better unload the gear within ten then, the captain said to the gunner and told the pilots to move five meters back to avoid any ground fires. Like an avalanche, the aircrew began to throw bags, boxes, and crates tumbling down from the monstrous bird. The captain and specialist continuously rained down all manner of items for about ten minutes. Once everything was unloaded, the captain shouted, All right, guys, it's a go. Prepare to move. Captain Olson hurled instructions at the soldiers behind her. The specialist moved towards the loading ramp door. The gunner gave him a nod. In synchrony, Four fierce-looking soldiers immediately got to their feet without saying a word. The rangers understood the drill fully 
sinking the rope, the specialist shouted, and in seconds, an extremely thick twined rope was let out flying just underneath the bird. The rope swung in circles under the influence of the wind being sliced by the gigantic chopper blades above. The heavily armed and equipped men ensured all weapons were tucked closely across their back by a tactical sling. The first soldier stepped off the chopper, sliding down the rope. In seconds, he was on the roof of the old office building. The soldier immediately dropped one knee to the ground and held his rifle up at the ready. In an almost identical pattern, the next soldier stepped off and down he went, sliding smoothly along the rope downwards. It was a beauty to behold. Such synchrony and skillfulness as they fast-roped, fully combat-loaded under the dark ambience of the night sky. A third, then a fourth soldier dropped down swiftly and instantly assumed the kneeling position, rifles at the ready. Each man in the fire team worked in tandem, facing opposite directions to his counterpart, ensuring all directions were covered. Captain Olson, or Kate, as she was known to her team, quickly followed, her rifle digging into her back. Several pairs of boots touched ground a few seconds after she did, and the chopper pulled away. Caitlin turned on her laser, taking a quick survey around the area. Smoke was thick in the air, coming from several burning cars around them. Kate put on her respirator, taking deep breaths to get rid of the choking smell. Hey, Al said behind her, handing one of the virologists a respirator. The scientist took it, a tall, dark-skinned man nodding his thanks. He was wearing a hazmat suit, but just couldn't descend with a respirator on. Beside them, grinning, Jake handed the other one, a female, a similar respirator for the same reason. She took it gratefully and murmured something too low for Kate to catch. Further behind, Kate spotted the twins, Rick and Flynn, standing side by side as always. They were silently fidgeting as they double-checked the equipment. Right. She turned towards the burning building in front of her. The chopper had dropped them off as close to the target as it could get and though Intel stated that the place had a low threat level, minimizing risk, they had precious little time, all things considered. Let's move, Kate said loudly, and started to double time towards the building. Debris littered the ground on and around the street, slowing the group slightly. Some were mundane things, like parking meters and some shards of glass, but others were the parts of cars and buildings blown from explosions. Once or twice, Kate had to jump over or go around, particularly large pieces of rubble in her path. There were some groans as the two scientists struggled to keep up, unused to the pace she had set, but the few times that Kate glanced back, it was only to make sure that the twins were keeping up with the gear. Their steps were slower, weighted down from all the load. Each of the others, including Kate herself, had already had a turn lugging the equipment. Still, Kate sent Al to relieve them of some of the burden. It was just a temporary measure, sure, but they just had to get to the building 
They were all tired. She hadn't slept in 48 hours, and she doubted any of the others had either. Within her respirator, her breaths were coming out in pants, and she noticed they were all showing signs of fatigue. Warm, watery breath began to feel really uncomfortable, and her respirator ever so slightly started to itch Kate's face. Kate quietly whispered, Nothing lasts forever, to herself, the motto that had got her through training, through tours, and now through this, and continued. Three cars, two of them on fire, had been packed a few feet from the doors, and then abandoned. As such, the smoke around the building was thicker, and the laser barely penetrated the gloom. It was an office-type building. It had been a while since she had been in Colorado, but the street was somewhat familiar. Kate paused at the building's entrance, lowered her goggles onto her head, and switched on the night vision. Immediately, everything took on a green tinge, like in some paranormal movie. With a gesture, Al and Jake came up on both sides of her. She gestured again, and almost in synchrony, the three of them moved into firing position, lasers pointed and weapons raised. The horde of zombies were already moving slowly towards the team. All manner of spine-tangling hisses, moans, and groans came from the blood-soaked undead. Maggots fell to the floor from one of their infested wounds, leaving a visible trail of putrid, moving flesh. Another bobbed up and down as her broken leg dragged along the ground, impairing her already lumbering movement. Fire! the captain shouted. A hail of bullets tore through the zombie's rotting neck and head, smashing the glass doors behind them. At such short range, the sniper's lapua round exploded ahead, showering a few particles of brain matter onto the team. Smoke from the barrels drifted slowly upwards as the fire team stood still, anticipating movement, but there was none. Clear. 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 Okay, move, the captain ordered. Swiftly moving forward, Jake smashed the remaining bullet-damaged door pane so they could squeeze through. The hallway had multiple doors on either side. Kate counted ten, five on each side, before she reached the night vision limit. They would have to go through each one, but first, the front doors needed to be barricaded. Kate gestured the virologists inside, and then the twins. Cover us until we find something to barricade this door with. Although they said nothing, Kate could imagine the shit-eating grin on their faces as they turned back, picking off zombies one after the other. She moved over to the equipment, opening up and rummaging through for a few minutes until her hands touched what she was looking for, the impact driver and a box of screws. What you up to, Captain? Jake asked sauntering up to her. We need to find a way to block the entrance. They're way too accessible for comfort. You, me, and Al are going to go through some of these doors. Find me anything we can use. Tables, chairs, those sorts of things. Bring them here and we will fix them over the glass on the doors. 
Jake nodded once and went over to explain it to Al. Kate spared a moment, looking around until her eyes landed on the scientists. It's going to get loud in here, on top of all the noise we already made, she said to them. You guys will be safer further in the building. Don't go too far, just far enough. Got it? They nodded. Kate glanced at Jake, and he gave a nod of acknowledgement. She gestured, then kicked in the first one, her laser in front of her, swiveling from left to right. Papers littered the floor from where a table had been turned over. The chairs surrounding it were broken, several little more than large sticks, only fit for Kindle. There was blood on the walls, and a trail leading to a headless body on the ground. Kate found the missing head a few feet away, its expression frozen in terror. She stepped in cautiously, pieces of glass grinding under her boots. She examined the corpse without expression, noticing the bite marks on his hands and neck. At least that explained the usual brutality. She did another sweep, and then waited, her ears straining. She had been briefed on what to expect. Still, her breathing came in pants, her helmet was getting damp with sweat, and her stomach was twisting weirdly. Her reaction surprised her. This wasn't her first time seeing a body. It was not even her second. Dead people were a constant in her profession, but something about the whole place rubbed her the wrong way. Clear, 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 Jake said, his voice echoing slightly from the hallway. Clear, Al said. This one's clear too. This one's clear too, Kate said, and stepped out to meet them. She picked up the impact driver from where she had dropped it. Bring the stuff here. We'll stack the middle first so the twins can cover our sides. Any questions? She glanced at Jake and then Al. Good. Now, one of you explain the plan to them before they get themselves killed. Jake helped Rick and Flynn pick off the incoming zombie that got too close. Kate left most of the heavy lifting to Al, drilling the screws for each section when he was done. She winced every time the impact driver was used, as it seemed just as loud as gunfire. The tool was hot in her hands after only a few minutes of use, but the tables and chairs were stacked close enough together that at that point she was already almost done. Finally, she made a long bar from the chair legs that could be put between the door handles and lock the doors from inside. She stood up, dusting her hands. Jake, you and Al are going to have to double back to some of the cars outside. Outside, Captain? Jake looked at Kate with a questioning look. We have little choice. We've made too much noise already with everything. It's drawing in the zombies. If we don't do something to distract them, they'll be coming right for this building and we're going to be overrun. Hopefully, the sound of some car alarms will distract them and they will forget about this building. Al grunted. But Al wasn't really Kate's concern. He'd do what he'd been told. She kept her eyes on Jake. It was a little risky, she'll admit, but something had to be done. Finally, Jake sighed. There's no point taking the twins. Al can cover me just fine. 
Kate nodded in acknowledgement and then opened the barricaded doors. They left, and Kate stood in front of the open door, watching their movements through her rifle scope. Jake tried to keep his breathing even as he moved towards the cars. The noise they had created turned the zombie free street into a zombie alarm like excrement to flies. That, more than anything, convinced him that the captain was right. It was only a matter of time before the little fuckers swarmed the building. The cars weren't parked far from the building, so the problem wasn't finding the right ones that hadn't crushed beyond repair or set on fire for some reason. For that, Jake and Al had to go further than Jake would have liked. Already, the zombies hadn't noticed them, and though they didn't rush, the numbers were proving uncomfortable for Al, as he didn't want to make any noise to kill them, and close-quarter combat was an infection risk. Maybe Jake should have brought Rick along, too. He smashed the window of the first undamaged car that he saw. That proved to be useless, so he opened the door and turned the wheel. Still nothing. Jake growled, moving on to the second vehicle, and then the third, and then the fourth. Still nothing. Al was shouting for Jake to hurry up, which scared Jake, because the words had actually sounded like words and not grunts. Jake shot a zombie that came too close with his silenced pistol, but it was still too loud for comfort. He finally smashed a car window that triggered an alarm. Finally, Jake thought as the alarm went off. He moved on to the next car in the row, and blessedly, the alarm went off on that one too, as did the car lights. They blinked on and off in tune with the car alarm beeps. Al shouted, and Jake turned in time to see the zombie horde moving towards him. Fuck, he thought, and they both ran back to the building as quick as they could. Kate turned sharply as Jake and Al lumbered through the open doors, their hands on their knees, panting heavily. You... Jake wheezed. He took a deep breath. You were right, Captain. They're attracted to the noise and light. Figured that last one almost too late. How many cars did you trigger? Kate asked. We only had time for two. They began to move in and we didn't want to engage unless we had to. We already got a few drops of zombie shit on us as it is. Jake chuckled. That should keep them busy till the car batteries run out. Kate nodded, more relieved than she showed. Good, that's good. Rest for a minute and recover, she said as she locked the doors behind her. She gestured the two scientists towards her. She had only learned their last names, but couldn't remember any at the moment. In any case, she and her team were there to provide protection, not friendship. Take the twins with you and go through the other rooms quickly. We still have work to do. In her mind's eye, she brought up the map of the building, then searched until she found the hallway leading to the conference room. She had gestured the scientists forward, directing them towards the passage before a shout reached her. We have civilians over here! Kate stopped immediately, then turned and followed Al's voice to an open door. A group of men and women crowded a corner of the wall, some staring in fear, 
others just staring, deep into shock. They all flinched at the sight of Kate's rifle, and some of them broke down into sobs. Their clothes were little more than rags where something had ripped into them. Fortunately, for them, however, she didn't see any scratch marks. Still, she had to be sure. We're setting up in the conference room. Search them for marks, then bring them up there. If anyone struggles or tries to run, shoot them. At her words, the sobs grew louder, and some of them pressed their backs closer to the wall or closer to each other, seeking comfort. Kate hesitated, then called out, Rick, come here for a sec. One of the twins came up to her and Kate pointed at the sniveling group, repeating her instructions. It was a scare tactic, one that had seldom failed her in the past. A few seconds later, Jake called out also and Kate went to him, leaving him with the same commands. She directed the scientists to the conference room, a wide area filled with broken glass, broken chairs, and an upturned table. There was plenty of blood. It stained every broken piece of furniture, but there were no bodies. But there wouldn't be, of course. Kate entered silently, and the scientists followed without a word. Their heads turned as they took in the scene, and though, because of their respirator lenses, Kate couldn't make out their expressions, she was certain they would be twisted in disgust. It was the natural reaction to such a scene, except, of course, if you were used to it. It took a few minutes to clear some of the wreckage away, clearing a small space. Al and Rick came in, the group of civilians in front of them, noticeably smaller than before. She glanced at Al, and he gave a small nod. Later, Kate would go around and make sure the bodies were properly cared for. That negligence, after all, was half the reason the infection was so widespread. She gestured to the space she had cleared, directing the sobbing group there. Minutes later, Jake came in with his own group, followed closely by Flynn with the equipment. The civilians were packed in a tight bundle, and Jake produced a bundle of zip ties to bind them. Kate estimated there were around 20 of them, far more than what she had expected, considering the level of ruin around her. Al, Kate called out and gestured to the equipment. He nodded, moving over to the crate and cracking it open. The sound echoed through the room, loud and sudden enough that a few of the civilians cried out in fear. Kate scrunched up her face in annoyance, tucking away her rifle and walking up to them. They heard her footsteps, peered but couldn't make her out in the darkness, which just added to their fear. Kate didn't say anything. There would be no point until Al got some lights working. The civilians were in too much fear to pay attention to what she would say, and the darkness wasn't helping any. So she stood, looming over them. When the lights finally came on, minutes later, flickering for a second before stabilizing, that was how the captives saw her. The terror was stark on most of their faces, while others just stared wearily, too emotionally drained to feel anything. Internally, she sighed. 
This wasn't how she would have handled it normally, using their fear as a way of controlling them. More than anything else, the tactics sickened her, but the fear was important. If it would make them listen to her, the fear was needed. Nothing could go wrong here, or they were all dead. Without a word, Jake, Rick, and Flynn moved to help Al sort out the gear. First came the solar panels and the satellite dish, which Flynn and Jake took up to the roof like they had been briefed. The batteries and radios were set up in the makeshift command center and wired to the solar panels. Now they had power. Next came the more delicate and thus more padded stuff. The female scientist moved to join Al at this point, helping to unpack them. Overall, there was enough equipment for a makeshift lab. Kate supervised for a while, stalling, before she turned to her captives, loosening their bonds. She lowered her mask, raised her goggles to her forehead, and stared each of them in the eyes, the men and the women. Some stared back defiantly at her, others in fear and others without emotion. Kate sighed letting her weariness show. Look, she started. This doesn't have to be difficult. I understand you guys have been through a lot, and I know I haven't helped much. Coming in here, my team and I, guns blazing. I apologize for that, and for tying you up. I couldn't take the risk that you wouldn't do something stupid. We needed a small town out in the country to set up, and the higher-ups decided that this was the spot. And so... Here we are. My team and I, Kate gestured behind her, are going to be using this space as a base. You're welcome to stay or leave as you please, though I wouldn't bet on your chances if you decide on the latter. She gave them a meaningful look and a moment to process this and to make their decision. When no one made a move, she continued, Glad we have that out the way. Here's how this is going to work. At this point, her eyes lost their sympathy, growing hard. My team and I have some work to be done. My orders are of utmost importance. Everything else is secondary. You will stay where I ask you to stay, moving only when I say so. Get it? If there is a need, you will help without delay and without complaint, and then you will return back to your spot. Understood? They all nodded, and Kate's eyes lost some of their hardness as she continued, in return, I'm offering food, water, and protection, something I think you guys are sorely in some need of. Do we have a deal? They nodded once more. Any questions? Tentatively, a hand went up. A blonde woman with dried mascara on her face. Some of us were separated earlier, she said shakenly. What's going to happen to them? Kate had expected this. Those who were taken were found to have bite and scratch marks on their bodies. I'm sure I don't need to explain what that means. The woman shook her head, trembling. Kate continued, They were separated for your own safety. And those who were beaten? A voice from the back spat with anger. Kate focused on him, noting the fresh bruise on his face. Was that also for our safety? She pinched the bridge of her nose to contain her irritation, making every effort not to glare at Rick, 
She had known it was a risk when she had assigned him to help with the survivors, but she had had little choice then. I assure you, when this is over, they will be punished accordingly. Anybody else? A few hands went up. Kate picked one at random. A reedy-looking guy with glasses. Some people flooded the building before the attack, hoping to escape. We had to close the doors, but when the... When the monsters came, they fled. Some of them might still be alive. What's going to happen to them? Another man agreed from the other side of the huddle. I saw a food truck pass by a few hours ago. It has to be heading somewhere. I was talking to my girlfriend when the attack started, a young man said, his eyes wide with fear and desperation. I haven't been able to reach her since, but she's alive. I know she is. She's probably still stuck in her building, hiding like we were. She needs help. You guys are going to help her too, right? Other voices joined in, talking over each other. The noise rose until she couldn't make out any single voice. Kate struggled to keep her expression calm and in control, trying to listen. When that didn't work, she raised her hand up and gestured sharply. Blessedly, they all shut up. Kate let out a breath, reached for her comms, and brought it to her lips. Jake, do you read me? Over. Jake's voice came through her earpiece. Loud and clear, boss. Over. I need you to check something out for me. Over. Jake, lying flat on the roof of the building, grinned at Flynn a few minutes after the captain finished speaking. He peered through the scope of his night vision on his sniper rifles and nodded calmly at what he saw. His surprise had lasted for several moments the first time he had seen them, and several moments more the second time he had peered through his scope. But logic had asserted itself after a quarter hour of staring at the fly-ridden, cloths rippling, throat-moaning, downtrodden, walking corpses as they wandered around a distant street. Zombies. Hundreds of them. Far more than one would expect in such a small town. And he was already used to it. How wonderful. A crowd of them had moved on to another street, out of Jake's scope, before he radioed in to report what he'd seen, making sure to state that, though they had enough ammunition to deal with a number on the street, it wouldn't be advisable to do anything that'll force them into that position at the moment. They went through the trouble of creating a diversion which was working, so they should recover first, then formulate a plan, before making any more loud noises. After all, gunfire had a way of drawing attention when attention wasn't really needed. Kate had acknowledged this, and had simply given him another target to look for, a rusty red food truck. Which he'd found, hence the grin. As if it had known it was sought, the car had just turned a corner, coming from the street directly in front of the building. One of its tires was ruptured and its front lights were turned on, a double-edged sword if Jake had ever seen one. As such, he didn't immediately notice the crowd of zombies keeping pace with the vehicle as it rushed towards them. When he did, his grin wobbled. He radioed in immediately, just as the car reached the end of the street and turned, riding away. That meant 
He still had the captain's attention when one of the zombies peered through the broken windows, noticed something, and rushed in through the beaten-down doors, dozens following soon after. Orders, Captain, Jake asked through his radio.